Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Securicentrics. Securicentrics is a trusted cybersecurity company with offices in Dublin, Cape Town, and London. Securicentrics provides expert advisory services, primarily in the finance and fintech industries, with tailored security solutions to fit your specific needs and regulatory challenges. Clarice Hagej is a founder and CEO of Defense. She joins the show this week as part of the Techstars Web3 Community Series events that we're doing on Crowdcast in support of the Techstars Web3 Accelerator that I'm leading. Prior to founding Defense, Clarice spent eight years with Credit Agricole as a corporate banker, but then went down the blockchain rabbit hole and came out the other side with the idea for Defense. In addition to Defense, she's a mentor for the Techstars Web3 Accelerator and a graduate of the ABN AMRO and Techstars Future Finance Accelerator Class of 2021. In this episode, Clarice and I riff on the drivers behind why builders are still building in Web3 in the midst of a bear market, getting the right balance between security and freedom with protecting your crypto assets, how the history of custody is informing how we decentralize trust so that we can trust the tech rather than third parties, and the challenges of building in Web3, all right here on Money Never Sleeps. Hey, Clarice, how you doing? Good, and you? Good, thanks. Awesome to have you here with us is Clarice Hagej, everybody. She is the founder and CEO of Defense. We're going to tell you all about what she's doing in a little bit. Welcome, everybody, to our Techstars Web3 community series. I am Pete Townsend, the managing director of the Techstars Web3 program. Applications are currently open, and we are working with entrepreneurs who are building the decentralized internet and tokenized economies. Setting out the stool is pretty high in terms of what we're doing. And we are looking for both companies that are building in Web3 and also those who are building economies in Web3. So we've got a view of the world that's unfolding. Obviously, lots of things going on out there in the Web3 space right now that's helping to inform our view. But this is today, we're talking about protecting your crypto assets, which is a very salient topic right now. I've just been amazed at the number of very, very smart people in this space that I know who have lost because they hadn't been holding their assets properly. And a few stories to share around that as well. But first, Clarice, again, welcome. Thank you for jumping in with us. So everyone knows, in addition to being a founder of Defense, Clarice is also a mentor on our Web3 program. So awesome to do this with you finally after all this time. So Thank you so much for having me, Pete. was a fan of the of your your podcast so yeah for sure happy to be to be there today yeah absolutely that's how you and i first connected it was actually with your co-founder chris yeah. when back i looked at the date october 30th 2020 wow it was <laughs> yeah when kenny estes who was west loop ventures back then now diffuse funds he connected me with chris after he did a founder trip over here on the side of the pond. He's from Chicago. So, and back, back when you guys were X-Key, before you did the Techstars, ABN AMRO, Future of Finance Accelerator last year. So lots of good connectivity there. Just to get us started before I kind of give it all away, how about you bring us through your backstory and how you got to this point, to the point of launching Defense, yeah? Of course. So, so I've actually, I'm a former banker. I spent 10 years in investment banking. So, so prior to launching defense, I've been working in, you know, several, several roles. I was chief of staff of just CEO, structuring products, 
handling customer relationships, but mostly I was, you know, always obsessed by fixing things that were not working, basically, that had been pretty much, yeah, most of the side projects I had at the bank as well was always tailored on, on, on that focus, with that focus. And actually in 2016, one of my friends came to me and say, hey, Clarice, I mean, have you have you read this white paper? At the time, it was IOTA white paper. And I was like, no, of course not. What is that? <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, you should read it. And I was like, but it's very technical. I'm, I'm not an engineer. What are you doing to me? I was like, read it, you know, read it. And I read it. And, and you know, like anybody there that has been, you know, reading one of these white paper, first white paper, it blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, we are building this technology today. And so I became extremely fascinated about blockchain. And at, at that point, that friend came to me with this idea of launching a food coin. And so we worked for a year on this project of you know, launching a food coin and didn't work for many reasons. Pretty much, you know, it was not the right moment for sure. Is it still the right moment? Probably not. You know, it was a very early, early project, but it definitely gave me the, the passion about the industry. And then three years later, I was given the chance to actually advise for a startup that was incubated by the bank I was working for. And I picked naturally a blockchain startup because basically I'd been feeling that, that passion. I was like, okay, if I can dedicate two months to, to, to a subject, it has to be blockchain. And that company was actually finalizing their private ICO. And I thought at the time, something that was very interesting was to actually try to find investors that had never purchased crypto before. So small asset managers, small family offices. And so I would pitch them the project. People would be very excited. It was actually a, a blockchain name service on, on Cosmos. But then I would when I would describe the closing of that investment, the fact that their investment would be materialized by that private key, that they probably needed to buy, you know, a nano ledger or something to, to actually secure it. People would be completely scared, but mostly, and I think more importantly, they would, you know, give me answers such as, but, you know, we have internal compliance, right? We have controls. I cannot just give that nano ledger to one of our traders. And so in 2019, I looked at what were, you know, the more sophisticated solutions. And you had already the bit go of this world, the encourage of this world, but most of the time the assets were not supported. Second, it was extremely expensive. So you, if you wanted to just, you know, buy 50K or 100K worth of that token, you were not going to buy the custody setup that goes with it because it was pretty much as expensive as your investment to start with. And so this is how I, I basically drilled down on, on the, what was the state of institutional custody at the time. And then I got to know a bit more about the MPC technology. So for people who do not know what MPC stands for, MPC stands for multi-party computation. It's a cryptographic primitive and basically it's a, it's a technology that enables you to, to generate the private key in shares and split them in shares, right? And so I thought this, this, this technology was fascinating. And uh, I actually at the time met with the founder of Zengo. I don't know if people are, in the audience are familiar with Zengo, but Zengo is an amazing B2C uh, wallet and it's secured via uh, MPC. So met with Oriel, who told me how he was implementing MPC. And in my opinion, what was missing in, you know, in terms of services globally was not another, it was not another wallet, but it was an infra solution. So it, 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 my, my view is that we needed to enable builders to quickly generate those wallets and incorporate that MPC security within different applications. And so this is really how I, I Defense was born. It was born out of the frustration of saying that we would all operate on decentralized technology. Yes, take our private key 
keep it in a centralized way, mostly on a cold storage device with centralized custodian. I thought this was too ironic. And second, I thought that there was no, no, no developer tool already, no tool for people to actually start building application on, on top of, uh, on top of function. Yeah. So that, that's why I got into defense. Wow. <laughs> wow. And that, that singular moment that where you started going down the blockchain rabbit hole was with IOTA of all projects. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> That's amazing. I remember yeah. hearing about that like four years ago, maybe, if not yeah. longer, and uh, the tangle. The tangle, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think I might have I might have had a sniff through that white paper as well. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it cool. was amazing. But no, and identifying the problem that you did, I mean, that's some that's some deep understanding where the gap is in the market from a technical perspective, having that background as a corporate banker. Yeah. Um, but like you said, always wanting to fix things. It's it's really interesting that you came across this. Yeah, I think, and 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 I guess there, I think it was as you were saying it to me. It was deep belief that that there was something wrong with mm. the way we were dealing with custody or, or envisioning custody. That it could not, you know, this was to me clearly the first step, V zero of what should be a digital asset custody, basically. And when I I really learned about MPC, and I guess you know, even if I'm not an engineer, I'm, I'm a bit of a geek. <laughs> so so when I learned about MPC and really uh, started going down the rabbit hole on, on, on that front as well, I thought this was also mind blowing because we could actually envision decentralized custody. And and this is to me this is what we should all be trying to develop. And so, think not only private key but now key shares and different party being responsible to actually safe keep a private key, sign a transaction. I think it's really the connection of both that to me made it a no-brainer. I, I I thought all right, this this is what needs to be built. It's it's an infrastructure a decentralized custody solution where people can actually build on top of that. And it's true. But two years later now, two years and a half later. There's not that many solutions that is that are actually. I would say we're one of the only solution that is really positioned this way in the market as as a, a pure technological service provider that enable its clients to actually develop on top of a you know wallet as a service with that developer tool in mind. So focusing on DevEx first, focusing on 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 making sure that there's no single point of failure on on our on our on our product and making the, making making it easy even for web two developers to start building. Web3 application. I think this is what we're obsessed with is, is building a set of APIs that are easy enough so you don't need to even understand what a private key is, right? So that's kind of for the high-level picture. It's fascinating. But there's some pretty harsh headwinds that are going up against folks right now. And I think a strategy around enabling those that are building in Web2 to actually get their feet into Web3 with some sound developer tools is a good way to do this. And But, you know, even with these headwinds on right now, builders are still building. And like with defense, what is going on on the inside? Kind of the thought process around all this. And, and how do you think people should be thinking about, because I, I just talked to two founders today who were like, oh, it's discouraging. But it's like, we're just going to keep going. So what, yeah. what is it like on the inside of defense when, when thinking about these headwinds out there right now? Yeah. So, so say so yeah, two, two, three ways to to answer this question. First, my point of view, being a builder in in the in the blockchain industry, I was obviously you know when first we started hitting a bear market, then the FTX fiasco. I was myself questioning. All right, are we going to 
of the market. You know, is it is it you know are we entering a winter that will be uh, that will keep uh, killing us for for the next you know a year and and are we going to survive that? Uh, obviously, these are questions that that, that you wonder, but. The beauty, and, and I think where we position, we actually see people from actually inception to the day they, they have an ID up to the time where they want to rethink their infrastructure because they've gone more mature. So we do see kind of the all from the startup point to the scale-up point. And it's amazing. No one, no, one has, no one has really stopped building or pushed by their product. We have maybe few use cases that are much more heavy crypto investing focus where they delayed a bit the, the integration. But mostly, you know, we have we serve 60% use case on crypto, 40% on, 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 on NFTs, and everyone keep on building. I think, you know, when you're in a bear market, you should start building. And I think mm -hmm. this is true in, in all industry forever. And, and this is uh, usually the time where you get the, the best solutions, right? Because you're focused because you're no, you're no longer trying to catch up with a market that is that is growing very fast and, and not looking at your own priority. You're focused on building good product for people that are actually building use case on blockchain and no longer for the, the hype part. I think there was a very interesting uh, analysis showing that basically bear market after bear market, the, the core level of you know numbers of people building on blockchain investing in blockchain in crypto sorry is actually increasing so mm -hmm. yes we're still going through this fluctuation but the base is increasing increasing slowly and i think believers are increasing as well and now it's 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 it has really uh, come across so basically uh, all industry all size of company people that have invested in in uh, in divisions in managers to actually figure out a strategy around, okay, what's our metaverse strategy? What's our NFT strategy? How do we monetize? How can that help us creating a better user experience for our clients, right? Well, they have started this project and so they don't really care about consequences of a fraudulent act in a, in a, in a specific industry. They don't care at all. They are here to build. They're here for the future. And I think now we've reached a mass that is big enough that we all know the big picture is, you know, yeah. they, there is a big picture and we'll all know that this is really just the early stage of this market and and we're we're basically building for the next 10 years to to come so yeah. no all that is to me very positive outlook now you know in every single market the the, the problem with the founders you, you you're meeting is you know are, are they going to be able to raise the funds that are necessary to build their application and so this is to me, the, 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 the place where there's still some unknown about what will be the VC market on, on crypto side next year. What we've seen today is that there's in the VC market, there's a lot of appetite for a good project. There's still money and it's still and we've seen as well Web2 investors really opening their funds to, to, to Web3. So not only specialized money is still here, but the, the more generalist Money still wants to get exposed to this industry. So for good projects, there will still be money. I'm quite convinced. Oh, definitely. And I, I'm seeing the same. What you know, there, there's fewer VCs that are investing, but a lot of the ones that were investing, they were investing sight unseen in projects they probably shouldn't have been investing in, and those projects are now gone too. So they, yeah. those VCs that aren't looking too too closely at things and those projects that probably weren't the best projects, they can go just yeah. do something else together. Right. So but looking at, at those that are good projects and, and looking at your client base and, and some of those that you've built with already, you know, being Mount Pellerin, being Polymath, being Nilos and Powder, what were some of the things that you lined up for them to be able to say, listen, this is how we're going to enable you to provide this security 
around yeah. your your clients, your customers, your users, crypto assets. How how do those conversations go, and what did you put in place for them that you think are are, are meaningful for this topic of protecting your assets? Yeah, first first it's our security scheme. So so we are a thirty people team. Out of the 30 people, there's 24 engineers. Out of the 24 engineers, there's six PhDs. We're cybersecurity first. So what we're selling is security. And what we've seen in the market is that you had players coming with easy way to authenticate and, and generate wallets. But yes, let's go back to what is a digital asset and, and why is it important that I need to secure my assets? So so everybody you know knows that blockchain is a decentralized technology and people also know usually that it's completely encrypted, right? So in order to actually write on this decentralized ledger, you need that private key and that public key. That private key is the equivalent of your wallet, right? So if you lose it, you lose all the money that was in it. And your public key is your is your address. So, so you can give it to everybody. It will be a way for you to, to receive funds, right? And so that 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 private key is, is generated and it depends on you know the, the the blockchain runs on different elliptic curves so depending on the type of blockchain you have you'll have different type of private key but usually your wallet provider so metamax generate the private key for for you we defense generate the private key for you so so they there are algorithms that will generate that private key and that private key is the is is the asset right and so the way we do it on our side is that we generate it using that uh, cryptographic protocol that I told you and the beauty is that instead of saying hey this is a private key so generating and ending out to the clients the stack generates it in a way that is distributed and also in a way that so the, the, the signing technology that we use never disclose those shares so even when you sign transaction this private key is not recomposed, right? So this is not hackable. And I think this is one of the, the single points of failure we wanted to address or, or obsessed with eliminating all single point of failure on our solution. But the first one was let's never have that private key entire in our process. So we don't even enable our clients to get back their private key because the second we export that private key, it becomes a, a single point of failure. And, and we know that people will make us responsible for it if they lose it. But in our view, there's this, this you know, mantra on our product, which is we never reassemble it, right? Because that's where it becomes a, yeah, a, a, a source of potential catastrophe. Yeah. For instance, on the NFT side, not to focus on security, Crypto is much more an area where, where there's been a level of maturity in the need for security. What we're telling to the market is that it's a mistake to think that the security of NFT is not important, right? Because when you're going to be selling your product, your startup, and when you're going to be selling your product to, let's say, I don't know, the LVMH of this world, the L'Oreal of this world, the, the major consumer, the Nike of this world, they don't want to have any brand damage, right? So they don't want to have to endure the customer support of a, a clients that have lost, you know, access to their NFT, right? And so, and so I think the first thing that we're selling is cybersecurity. We're extremely serious about what we're building, and and we don't believe that there should be any difference of implementation between use cases. We believe that we need to build a safe infrastructure for blockchain to thrive. And as long as there will be people losing private keys, people being able to hack, for instance, we're talking a lot to, 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 to bridges right now to also see how we can help with our product on the security of bridges. So as long as there will be in the news, those announce, those kinds of announcements, the, the, the global industry is weakened. So in our view, 
any sort of digital assets deserve the subsecurity. So first security. Second, the scheme that we've developed. So we're a decentralized digital asset custodian. What it means is that it's not defense that holds the assets. It's a distributed peer-to-peer -peer network that will generate together that, that assets and operate signing for the clients. And basically what we've done is that we've we've operated a, a, sub, a substitution of secrets. So the private key is extremely important, right? If you lose it, you lose everything. You lose all access you, you have to your phones. And so what we've said is that no one wants to manage anything that is related to private key, not even key shares. So that's, it's secure in a decentralized way. Defense is not a custodian, there's third party involved. So no one owns the private key, right? No one's in this network has enough shares to be able to operate a transaction and so on. So that's, that's kind of the security. What we're gonna give to you it's an API key that is actually defining your custodianship. So if you own this API key, well, you have access to your digital assets, right? And so now the way you authenticate to this API key is super important. But there's a lot of uh, uh, solution available on the market to enable to link that directly to biometric, directly to identity. And also the beauty with an API key is that it's refreshable, it's revocable, it's time bound. So it's much easier to manage and it's much easier to manage when you look at, at use cases that are scalable. And so the strength of our model is that with that security and that implementation of this security, we can operate self-custody not only at the B2B level, so enable our clients to become custodian using our product, but also at the B2B2C level, meaning that today, tomorrow, you're a platform that wants to onboard users and you don't want to give them the pain to log in through MetaMask because, you know, Basically, my mother will never go through, and not even forget about your mother. I mean, I have friends. <laughs> There's not even a, no generation <laughs> divide here. It's a scary process and it's a long process. But even if 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 you think that you know the process is not that hard, the problem is that it takes you out of a user experience. Suddenly, you're funneled out of a platform, right? And so, basically, what we've we've managed to do is kind of connect best of both worlds. Where on the B2C use case, you can offer your clients a custodial experience while leaving them in control mm. of their assets because their API key is on their phone. And if you're a platform and tomorrow you disappear, you come back to defense and we can you know give you back you, you with your with your API key, you'll have access to, to your phones again. So so that's kind of ultimate continuity, being able to not compromise on the UX, right? Not compromise on the UX because we need to build applications that are friendly to, to the mass, basically, yet not compromise as well on self-custody because we believe that, you know, segregated post-FTX, you know, segregated wallets will be potentially something that the regulator will push for because we believe that as long as the, you know, the end user has the signing power is in control. So reuniting both of those two, I think this is what makes us really, really unique. But that's kind of the, I would say, this is our secret sauce now, not to to to, to do a product presentation on, on defense. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And it, it, I think your point about that, you know, you aren't the legal custodian yeah. and that the client is their own custodian. It's like first party custody. I was working, you know, know a company well here in Dublin who was talk, using that tagline a few years ago. And I was listening to, to Jesse Powell from Kraken talk on a podcast about, please do not hold your assets on Kraken at, on an exchange. And it's not because he had any doubt about the security of it. It was like, it's a liability for us, is what yeah. he was saying. Yeah. You know, it's better, please hold it yourself. It's a liability. So please hold it off exchange. But looking at the industry out there right now, and 
you know, I just know some of my own, you know, trading experience that there's that ability to trade with freedom, but, you know, and then there's the ability to trade with security yeah. and to, to know that my assets are safe and that you've always got that balance of, Hey, what is, what is going to be the secure solution for me? And what will give me the least amount of friction when, when I'm trading? What do you think when, when individuals and institutions are thinking about these different solutions for protecting their assets? What are some of the red flags they should be looking for? Yeah, this is really our, our, our obsession. So what's your go-to-market strategy? That's the first thing. And second, how do you get there? But if you want to be the most secured and yet give the most freedom to your, to your clients, you need to find that perfect combination of giving them the control while removing from them the burden. It's not so much that the mass wants for sure to, to be completely in control of the assets. It's that they want to be able to claim that back. They want to be to know that they have an ultimate um, recovery over the assets, right? That's, I think, when you look at this problem, it, it, it makes the, di the dilemma completely different, right? And so this is why I believe, for instance, that self-custody run by the, the cluster storage option today are extremely ironic because you do secure your private key and your seed phrase in your device, but most of the people are putting their, their, their backup, their seed phrase on, on, on the cloud, right? Or even they're sending in through WhatsApp to other people. And so you make cold storage solution that is actually bulletproof. It is bulletproof. It's really, it's really strong. You make it extremely weak by, by letting people manage their backup when they're not CISO or security engineers, basically. Oh, totally. And I heard something the other day that Apple are actually doing full end-to-end -end encryption on iCloud so that your notes will be secure. But, you know, the, the, the other piece of advice that I heard recently was that if you are going to store your, your private key and your seed phrase yourself on a piece of paper, make sure it's put in a Ziploc bag in case there's water damage. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. So we don't want to go there. We don't want to get to that. We, we don't want to be at that point where we're actually thinking about, do I have a Ziploc bag in the house? Um, because, you know, we have these Ziploc bags in my house that are red tinted and somehow that tinted the food that was inside the bag red. So I don't want that to happen to my private key. Okay. I'm going to do something else with it. That's a bit more secure. Let me take a minute to tell you more about our sponsors. Securicentric strives to be the trusted partner that secures your information assets deemed critical for your business. Securicentric also delivers the highest level of security expertise and support to their clients. Even further, Securicentric provides independent cybersecurity assessments and advisory against best practice industry standards and compliance frameworks. Working as an extension of your team, Securicentric helps you recognize and control data risk to your business by understanding your level of risk. In short, Securicentric provides many solution offerings from assessment and advisory, managed security services, cloud and infrastructure validation, vulnerability management and testing, and payment security. Get in touch with the team at Securicentrics.com to learn more or email info at Securicentrics.com. That's S-E-C-U-R-I-C-E-N-T-R-I-X.com. But listen, let's, let's look at the questions that are coming in. There was a good one in there that I thought was particularly relevant. So what advice do you have for developers looking to integrate a secure wallet infrastructure into their applications? From Pavel Fedotov. 
Yeah. Well, use defense now. <laughs> of course. But no. So, so as I told, as I as I said, I think what's very important is understanding who will be owning these wallets or what use case these these yeah. wallets will serve. We were on the phone with a very very large financial institution this morning who is doing, for instance, security tokens. They are issuing securities, and 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 so even though you 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 can do that on public blockchain, the security around that is is not as hard. Why? Because they st can still reissue those tokens. If you lose the private key, well, you lose it. But so basically, on their side, they're not so concerned about the, the security. But they don't want to go in the operational, you know, management of, okay, now I need to like, you know, have a support service for the person that lose their, their private key. So they, 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 they still are, are thinking about something that is sophisticated, but see here a use case where people are, 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 are less sensitive to that recoverability. So first, this is my, I would say my first opinion, it's, it's. Each use case is different. And then what is your positioning? You know, are you B2B, B2C? B2B2C, so how do you want to develop that infra? Uh, uh, third, scalability. So are you, you know, are you going to choose a provider for only five wallets or for millions of wallets? Because that, that's also a, a very different point. So for instance, our business model is SaaS, so we're purely charging based on, on the usage of our clients. Some other providers are based on AUM and AUC, so the asset under custody or asset under management you have with them. So, for instance, if you plan on having 10 billions of, you know, Bitcoin on, on your platform, maybe that's not the right model for you. So it's super important to, to take that, 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 that into consideration. So what's your business model to select the right technological provider for you? And the fourth to me, which is super important is, you know, the blockchain, the, the technology we're working with, so blockchains in general, it's evolving very fast, right? And so we're saying the waiting for the new new blockchain to 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 come, the aptos of this world to come and, and and disrupt some of the blockchain that's that's out there. But my point is you want to have a solution that enables you to have that flexibility to say tomorrow, you know what, I don't want to issue, I don't know, my NFTs on Polygon anymore. I'm moving to Solana or I'm moving to the next uh, blockchain in town. So have that flexibility of keeping your options open. And I think we're still in a very phase of low maturity of even though we've made tremendous progress the past since 2018 and even it's still it's still the beginning of, of of this industry so you want to keep your options open and so looking at a provider when looking at a provider you should see all right what type of assets do they support can they follow us in, for instance, in unveiling, you know, new use cases on different blockchain? Can I manage NFTs and cryptos at the same time? Because tomorrow, maybe I want to enable crypto payment on my platform. The last point maybe is also the, the ease of integration, because usually the infra is one piece of a, of a bigger puzzle. And so we have, uh, our clients are, would be integrated whether with KYT solutions, with on and off frame solutions. So look at also the ecosystem and, and mostly the, the likeliness of your provider to open those bridges, right? Because basically, if you're building an application today on blockchain, you, you need, in my view, you, you, you're building something that, that is open to a to a larger ecosystem and so keeping keeping those door open and not shutting yourself down i think a provider that will limit you in a very very close ecosystem is, is super important it definitely no and it's good it's absolutely good to have that flexibility 
got a few more questions rolling in here from the crowd. One question that 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 came from LinkedIn Live was really around looking the the future looking element of this. Obviously, we're talking about protecting our crypto assets today, protecting NFT assets today. And the overall view, Clarice, that I think you share with me on this space is that assets in general, there's 300 trillion worth of financial assets out there in the world. There's another 300 trillion of physical assets out there in the world that people are already talking about digital twins. And there's lots of bottlenecks to get through on that side. But at least with financial assets, there's you know at, at least a path to seeing how we could secure those assets cryptographically. And the, the question that's coming up is that, you know, when we think about how we can apply this technology, cryptography, and specific elements of it with, with MPC, what are the other types of assets that we could protect with uh, this? So, so um, in, in my view, it's a, it's a, it's a no-brainer that in the years to come, is it two years, three years, five years, all all financial assets will be tokenized because there's too much benefits not to do to do it uh, this way. I think one thing that is missing in order to really also kickstart that process is to have more regulation and, and have more uh, visibility on what will be the stable coin or the digital euro, the digital uh, fiat currency that you'll be using to actually settle against those tokenized assets. Once we've standardized that, then it makes total sense that old financial assets will be tokenized because you reduce the middleman, because it's much easier to 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 issue, because you can you have access to new distribution platforms, you have access to new markets you didn't have access before. So we cannot secure assets that are not private keys, so that are not tokenized. In order for us to to secure them better, it has to be you know either issued as an NFT, issued as a security security token, etc. So I believe on the financial market, I, we have more and more use cases on this front. So in my view, something we're positioning our, our team on is to make sure that we are the solution for the next two three years that manage and handle the security tokens use case the best, right? So I'm I'm, I'm extremely I'm extremely bullish, and and when you look at, at projection as well of the World Economic Forum, actually tokenized financial assets are kind of the bigger chunk of what should be mm-hmm. digital assets in the future. So that's kind of a, a, of a first part and, and we will be definitely equipped to, 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 to secure them. For us, it's not a big change, right? What's, what's a big change? It's on the, the, the usage that our clients will do around that. So, you know, maybe they don't need to do just transfers. Maybe they need proof of reserve differently, et cetera. So it's going to be around the features that enable them to secure and manage those assets. Definitely. And I mean, you know, going from the, the future, really, back to the past, there's this question of, there's some precedence here on custody. And yeah. it, it goes back a long, long way. But when you think about where you know, we really need to get to, it's about decentralizing, decentralizing trust, right? And allowing people to trust the tech rather than a third party. Where do you, you know, what are some of the linkages from the past that can inform us and, and how we should really be thinking about this with the best way to set up that right balance of security and freedom for, for people, for crypto users? No, absolutely. It's actually very interesting when you look at the history of, of custody. And if you put it in the context of the emergence of the of a welfare state in the 20th century, 
suddenly you have you have companies that are incentivized to pay their employees not only on a daily basis but on a weekly basis because it enables them to save and if you save you can actually pay your rent and if and this is where you actually start you know kind of getting out of poverty because your assets is not with you at all time you cannot you know no one can steal them with you and so basically very early on in the 20th century enterprises were the custodian of people's funds so we move from people having them in their pockets literally so being paid every day having them in their pockets to more of a welfare state putting together and, and trying to to put some laws around that to protect employees having an enterprise that was responsible for paying people and, and managing their assets but so that was on the enterprise level and then the social the welfare state has developed to actually you know create much more security for the employees such as you know pension funds were, were created but it was still managed at the enterprise level and suddenly you have in, in the in the seventies you have the, the, the Studebaker auto manufacturer in the US that crashes and collapses. And with them, they take the money of the pension funds they had been, you know, building for their employees. They 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 collapse with that and, and basically seven thousand of employees go back to no pensions at all, no security. And so this is really where in the US, you know. You you have a polypolitic act and, and it becomes strategic to say, all right, so we could not leave the assets at the end user or at the citizen level. We move that to the employee. There's a conflict of interest here. So we're moving that to now neutral organizations, which are custody banks. And so in the, at the end of the 70s, all pension funds need to be held in custody banks, no longer at the, inter, at the, at the company, at the corporation level, right? To, to clear all those conflicts of interest and making sure for those employees that they can, you know, review the fund. But then after custody banks are also or become another, another part of a bigger puzzle. And then, you know, the end of... of the major economic crisis in 2008 happened, and then you're like, all right, can I trust this whole financial system, right? And so this is how, in our view, when we build defense, we didn't go back to, okay, we can need to take back this, this, this asset and putting back in the people's hands, because this was not, you know, the, the evolution and what history showed you, that there's, there's, a, there's a huge march to trying to find people that are neutral enough that can actually do the job of safekeeping people's assets for them, right? And so when we talk about self-custody, you cannot trust yourself because you kind of don't want to have that burden. You don't want to trust a third party because you don't know what's going to happen with this person and, and of these institutions and, and things can, can change. And we've seen it very recently that things can change very fast. So what you're left with, and this is what we're trying to, to, to do here, it's to, it's to entrust technology. And I think that's what blockchain is trying to do from, from you know, the beginning. When you look at, at, at Bitcoin or white paper, right? It's, it's to actually say, hey, let's stop trusting one person. Let's stop trusting one institution. Let's see how we can trust each other and come up with a technology and a model that is self-sustainable and can operate on itself, right? And and this is really where where we we're going with our decentralized network and and the fact that you know these third parties safekeeping those assets on behalf of the of of a person of an institution, um, just to relieve them from that burden, yet to give them access. And I think this is something that is very important. Now the last missing piece, in my view, once the the the, the the, the people are convinced about the model and, and, and they are, I think the last piece thing you is, is the regulation, right? Because people are still looking at custody with very, very old glasses, right? And so they want a resp someone responsible. They want someone 
liable. They want someone that they can go back to and say, you didn't do things right. And so they are not ready at all to say, hey, let's analyze that tech and see how that tech can be responsible. Because then suddenly, you know, who can I who can I find when something goes wrong or who can I who can I look at? And so to us, I think to me that's gonna be kind of a 10, 15 years, 20 years lobbying ahead of us. We got uh, some time, I know. Yes, for sure. Uh, it will happen when you have a regulator that is more technical, when you have people that can actually do code audits the same way they go and analyze the process of how do you run your AML, AML process, you know, go a step further and, and, and have a, a regulator that is tech driven and that is open to actually in, looking in details about, you know, the codes, right? And, and how they work. I know, I know. And we could probably do a whole nother hour on how we integrate this technology into existing financial markets and not even for tokenization of, of existing real world assets, but just on cryptographically secured assets or crypto or NFTs, right? So listen, on that, we're nearly out of time. So Clarice, thank you for joining us. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you for any of the unanswered questions that we have to be able to address today? So LinkedIn or Clarice at dfnsdefense.co.co. Awesome. Clarice, thank you so much. Thanks to everyone for joining. And just applications are open, as we said, for the Techstars Web3 Accelerator and at, until February 1st. So check us out on techstars.com slash accelerator slash web3. And we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me as well on LinkedIn. I'm Pete Townsend or on Twitter. I'm at Pete Townsend NV and simply on Twitter as well for the accelerator program. We're at Techstars Web3. So thanks again, everybody. And enjoy the holiday season. This will be our last one before the break. And we'll be talking to all of you again in January. Thank you very much. Thanks. That does it for this week, folks. Thanks to Clarissa Gage for opening up her mind to help us figure out why she does what she does. Links to get in touch with Clarice, learn more about defense, and connect with the Techstars Web3 Accelerator are in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early-stage startup investor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3. If you'd like to talk to me about your business, drop me a line on info at moneyneversleeps.ie. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya.